0: Good morning. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians meets each week for worship. We meet here each Sunday morning throughout the year to spend an hour together in reflection. It's a time for us all to turn inwards, to, to quieten our busy individual selves, and to, to link in with something greater be that the power of community, such as this, or the power of the divine. Here, in a Unitarian congregation, we are free to make up our own minds about matters, spiritual and religious, but we share some common values that shout out about the equality of all people, and we support one another in a journey of speaking and listening. It's good to remember, isn't it, that we are not alone in a world that can sometimes seem a lonely and fragmented place. Yes, we're walking our individual paths, but we share a path. So welcome to Essex Church and welcome to this part of your journey. So as we grapple with digital devices and (laughs) life generally, And when we consider the struggle that some of you will have had to get here with half the tube system seemingly not working this morning, let's take this moment to to bring ourselves fully present into this moment. Let's rest on the forming edge of our life. Let's resist for a while the headless headlong tumble into the next moment, on and on and on. Now let's claim for ourselves a brief time of stillness and calm amidst the bustle of everyday life. It's good, isn't it, to make time for awareness and for gratitude and for reflection here together in this peaceful place, blessed by the divine spirit of life and love. Welcome, welcome to you all. And each week here at Essex Church, we like this chalice. It's a symbol of our liberal religious community of Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists. The actual symbol of a cup, a chalice and a light within it, that is an ancient and much used symbol. But in this present form, in our community, it was designed only in the 1940s when Unitarians were working to help Europe's many refugees They wanted a a symbol, they wanted to create a symbol that would let people of all faiths and no faith know that this organisation would help them find safety once more. There's something powerful, isn't there, in a symbol of a light shining out, welcoming people whatever their creed, nationality, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, age. This is the message. That, that liberal flame shines out to our world. So I wanted to um, just spend a minute in silence now, in um, in remembering those who died or who were injured in the Grenfell Tower fire. Uh, just a mile down the road from here, all those people who've lost their homes and family members in that horrid fire, all those continuing to live in substandard housing in this country, as well as in other parts of the world. And let's also, in this minute's silence, mark Refugee Week. And so I call on the Divine Spirit of life and love to be with us now and to illumine all that we do and say together here today. May nobody who has suffered through migration issues or through that terrible fire, may they not be forgotten. And let's pray for all people who have had to leave their homes for any reason hard for many of us to imagine what that must be like, but those of us who are blessed with homes of comfort and safety, let us give thanks for the blessing of a safe home. There are some among us today who are far from home. So let us think of those who are away from their homes with love and and with commitment to help all people feel welcome here in this community. The issue of displaced people is a concern throughout our world, so let us pray for the lawmakers and the enforcers who have that difficult task be may they be blessed with with compassion in their words and in their actions and may they never forget that they too might find themselves without a home and in danger at some time and may our world community find ever new creative ways to help one another and to overcome the problems that cause people to leave their homes. Economic uncertainty, hatred and oppression, warfare, hunger and shortage of water. Or let us be people who rise to the challenge and keep searching for humane ways to resolve complex issues. And in our own lives, let us never slip into complacency in our thinking. No, rather be ever grateful for what we have, ever attentive to the needs of others, and doing what we can, however small, to make this world of ours more just, more humane, more compassionate. And may that be so, for the greater good of all. Amen. Mm-hmm. This, um, this poem is written by Benjamin Zephaniah and he'll read it a lot better than I would so do check him out on uh, YouTube because he, he reads beautifully It's called We Refugees and I suppose it's, it's reminding us of that message that it, this could be us I come from a, a musical place where they shoot me for my song and my brother has been tortured by my brother in my land. I come from a beautiful place where they hate the shade of my skin. They don't like the way I pray and they ban free poetry. I come from a beautiful place where girls can't go to school. There you are told what to believe And even the youngest must grow beards I come from a great old forest I think it is now a field and the people I once knew they're not there now we can all be refugees nobody is safe all it takes is a bad leader or no rain to bring forth food We can all be refugees. We can all be told to go. We can be hated by someone for being someone. I come from a beautiful place where the valley floods each year and each year the hurricane tells us that we must keep moving on. I come from an ancient place. All my family were born there and I would like to go there but I really want to live. I come from a sunny, sandy place where tourists go to darken skin and and dealers like to sell guns there. I just can't tell you what's the price. I'm told I have no country now. I'm told I am a lie. I am told that modern history books may forget my name. We can all be refugees. Sometimes it only takes a day Sometimes it only takes a handshake or a paper that is signed. We all came from refugees. Nobody simply just appeared. Nobody's here without a struggle. And why should we live in fear of the weather or the troubles? We all came here from somewhere. Words by Benjamin Zephaniah. We're moving into a meditative time now, and um, just some words to introduce that meditation. I've, I've been reading a paper this week published by the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development (OECD), and it highlighted um, the reality that is getting increasing publicity. I think that the the gap between rich and poor is widening rather than reducing in many countries around the world including here in Britain, and and also a reminder that when that gap between rich and poor widens, there is a corresponding drop in reported happiness um, in all sectors of society, for everyone. Yet we don't always seem to be able to put that insight into practice, do we? So in our meditation time today, I'm going to invite you, if you wish, to, to think happy thoughts and, and imagine a world where resources are more fairly distributed. So, so let's get ourselves comfy, do whatever works best for you. Um, to be okay for a few minutes in silence. Maybe let the gentle rhythm of your breathing just rest you and help you to turn inwards. Maybe soften your eyes. or. Oh, oh whatever works for you to relax with. And you might want to consider issues like access to education for everybody, enough healthy food for everyone, clean water for everyone, safe housing for everyone, adequate health care for everyone.
1: So when we moved back to London three years ago, Sarah invited me to help lead services. And I got kind of lazy. And now, unfortunately, we're moving back to the U.S., so I said, well, can I just do one with you? And so she gave me this opportunity today. Um, I'm from the American South, and even as Unitarians, we move around, which is why this is. I used to be able to move around a lot more when I was younger, because I could remember all my sons without going back and referring to them. So I will have to stay near this. I wonder, though, how many of you are enjoying the BBC show years and years? Yes. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it is a show written by Russell Davis and uh, Emma Thompson. And yeah, Emma Thompson's sorry. that. That is a... I'm a little behind a few episodes, so I don't know if I can call it dystopian but it's certainly certainly a less desirable future for the world, mainly, though, set here in the UK. And in the first episode, uh, one of our protagonists is a uh, local government official that's working in a refugee camp. Uh, Camp, I guess, is kind of a a nice word. I would say more of a refugee prison, because there's a fence around it and they're not allowed to leave. And a national government of Europe that drives up over. And um, while she doesn't use the term these people, she means these people when she's talking about these refugees. And it causes a little bit of a conflict there, as you can imagine. So that really got me to thinking about terms and words that we use. So before we begin this discussion, I thought maybe if we did just kind of a, a little mental exercise ourselves, And as Sarah said, we're Unitarians, so we don't share publicly, so this is just gonna be for yourself. I'm gonna mention three different terms that refer to people who are not living where they were born. Just kind of monitor inside, just five seconds in each one. Kind of let flow up in the Freudian slash Jungian interpretation what immediately comes up for you, and just hold on to that. The first term, expat. The second term, immigrant. The third term, refugee. Just internally, kind of think of if you had any different either cognitive thoughts or emotional thoughts differently. Something for you to ponder over the next week, weeks. But I thought that was a really instructive place to begin this discussion. Outside of that, though, when we're looking around at the society and the world, how did we get where we are right now? The arc of history was leaning heavily towards compassion. Relief efforts were widespread. Countries and people were largely welcomed, welcomed the newcomers with open arms. It was considered to be actually heartless and cruel to oppose the arrival of people who were forced to leave their home countries for whatever reasons. So what's changed? There's the individual level, and this is the subject of countless studies, and I'm just going to bring this point up and we're going to move ahead. But on the individual level, what makes people temperamentally different in their response to different? Why do two people, even from the same family, react completely differently? One family member appreciates and welcomes different people, languages, customs, food, religious practices, and another family member can be indifferent and maybe even feeling threatened. One family member will see society as benefiting and richer from the diversity, and another family member can feel threatened. As I said, it's too large of a topic for today, but that we have that dynamic going on, I guess at the micro level at the macro level, when we're looking at the world. There's been a shift in attitudes of societies. After World War II, and really right up until, I would say, the the noughties, as they call them, the beginning, the first decade of the 2000s, Western democracies largely welcomed immigrants, particularly refugees, seeing it as their moral duty to do so. But we have all seen a shift. We saw the results of the recent European elections where we were cheered by the fact that there was only a 5% increase in the populace in the European Parliament. Meaning that it does sound small, but now they are 25% of the MEPs. It's a sad commentary on the world that three quarters of the border walls and fences that exist today were erected after the year 2000. Let me say that again for you because When I first read this, I, 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 it was shocking. Three quarters of all border walls and fences that exist today were erected after the year 2000. So what's to be done? I believe what needs to be done is a bold new vision. We need to consider something new. What we've done in the past hasn't worked. We're going in the wrong direction. So we need to not have that, well, we shouldn't, or they shouldn't, or we can't. And certainly the answer is not closing borders. Article 14, Section 1 of the UN Declaration of Human Rights clearly states, everyone has the right to seek and to enjoy in other countries, asylum from persecution. Article 28 goes on, everyone is entitled to a social and international order in which the rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration can be fully realized. All people are entitled to feel safe and secure and be able to provide for their physical, mental, and psychological well-being. Throughout history, our human ability for creativity and problem solving has come through to help us in these very difficult situations that have arisen. So I wanna share with you um, two, two possibilities. One, uh, the first one is uh, that I'd like you to consider, is uh, by a Dutch economist, Rutger Bergman, Bergman sorry, uh, Utopia for Realists. Is anyone familiar with that yet? In this book he does offer up a bold new vision. I'll get to all the points. He's not addressing specifically immigrants, refugees, he's talking about a bold new vision as we move into the future. So kind of the opposite of years and years going into dystopian direction, a positive direction. And it is all supported by detailed research, I'm not going to get into that. If you, if you, he has very uh, detailed research, footnotes, the studies that are used in the book, so any of the points that I mentioned, If you get the book, you can certainly uh, see the actual detailed research that that I'll make reference to. So he's looking ahead specifically at what we can predict based upon technological advances. So one of the things he kind of advocates is rather than being fearful that technology and automation will require less human labor, how are we going to deal with that rather than dreading it How do we address it? So he seeks to balance economics with human health and well-being. He observes that only when people have leisure time can they be more creative and report better life satisfaction and increase time spent with family and friends. Additionally, there is in the not too distant future when because of automation, as I mentioned, we're gonna need actually less human labor. It's just a predictable fact of technolo- technological development, and again, something not to be feared but to be planned for. For example, I just returned on a trip, to Tokyo, uh, a trip to Tokyo through Terminal Five in Heathrow. I didn't speak to a single person to get on the plane, other than customs or uh, uh, immigration. Uh, no, yeah, immigration, and also a giraffe where I ordered my breakfast. But as far as boarding, I went up put my passport in, it checked me in, it gave me my luggage tag, I put it on the luggage, I actually put the luggage on the rack, I walked through, literally, I did not have to talk to a person. And as you know from travel in the past, that's quite different. So, he proposes two solutions when we're looking ahead at those situations. A universal basic income and a 15 hour work week. One five, 15 hour work week. Through the many research studies that he cites that have been undertaken to uh, evaluate UBI, uh, Universal Basic Income, they were all overwhelming successes. He couldn't find a study that actually showed it wasn't successful. There was even one that was done, the most extensive one was done in a province in Canada, I believe it was the 70s, that was going fantastically, and the only reason it stopped was because the, um, the Provincial government changed to the opposite party, who was philosophically opposed to something like that, and they stopped it, even though it was overwhelmingly successful. So it wasn't stopped because, oh, it eventually petered out. It actually uh, was very successful. So in, in all of these studies, people were able to work less and therefore have more leisure time and family time and engage in creative pursuits. And to address the obvious criticism, which crops up for any of us, no, on the whole, people did not take the money and run. They actually did their work, they were uh, more productive in the 15 hours when they worked, and so it, it helped, uh, it, it, it didn't have the negative impact which might be the first thing that crops up for most people. Um, as I mentioned, because of automation, many economists' predictions indicate that for most industries, People will only need to work 15 hours a week. So the combination of a shorter week and a UBI would be p- beneficial to the employees and employers. How? And this is a quote from the book. Research suggests that someone who is constantly drawing on their creative abilities can on average be productive for no more than six hours a day. We, we've known this for a while, that an eight-hour workday actually is too long for for most workers anyway, as far as being mentally fresh and being able to solve problems um, and be at their their optimal. But I think his final proposal will probably be the most controversial for the book and um, larger. His final proposal is open borders. Kind of a bad term in this day and age. He notes that there's already free movement, and I like this quote, for bananas, derivatives, and iPhones. So how about people, too? International economists, in spite, of, in, in spite of what we may have an impression of, international economists estimate that only approximately 3% of the world's population lives in a country they, didn't, they weren't born in. It seems a lot more, it's not. Also, economists, through their studies, tell us that opening borders to allow people to move wherever they wanted for work would have an enormous boost to the global economy. The estimates are, it would increase the global economy by 65 trillion dollars because people would be able to go and work where they wanted to work and do what they wanted to do. His, part of his justification is, remember that in many places in the world, borders are arbitrarily drawn. Um, I'm going to talk about two in particular. Witness sykes Pico, which is seen by many historians as a major contributing factor to the continuing instability in the Middle East. And for those of you that aren't a history geek like me, I'm going to tell you what sykes Pico is. It was um, when the French and the British, when they were the colonial powers in the Middle East, just sat down and got a map and they drew straight lines. I don't know if you ever looked at the Middle East. It's got some strange just straight lines because that was bureaucratically the most efficient way to do it. Yet what it did was it separated sometimes united communities and actually I guess more worse is it put communities that have natural enmity together in one country. So, it it is seen as a continuing problem. So, in that situation, the border isn't even a a natural-type border. Another case in point, my home country, the U.S. government, is complaining about Central Americans coming to the U.S. seeking asylum and saying they need to be sent home or turned away, which, by the way, is a violation of the U.N. Declaration of Human Rights. But most of them can't return to their country of origin. There are countless interviews where it will be a mother with her young children. I saw one uh, woman with two daughters, that her husband had been killed in a gang related thing. The gangs came and said, if you come back, and the kids are all gone, right? If you come back, we will rape your daughters and then we will kill them. What else can they do but flee their country? They cannot go back. Another kind of irony of the situation is many of the in in stable countries in Central America, while while America is not the main cause of it, there can be some historical roots of when the American government caused instability in some of those countries, which has kind of continued on. Opening borders would also help to reduce the income inequality in the present world. Here's some statistics, today, The richest 8% in in the world. Today, the richest 8% earn half of all the world's income. And the richest 1% own more than half of all the wealth. The 1% owns more than 3.5 to 4 billion people. And in a timely study just released yesterday about the U.S., the 400 richest Americans. So this isn't a percent; these are 400 people. Now own more wealth than 60 percent of the people, or 150 million. So 400 people own more than 150 million other Americans. So he goes through, and there there are you know a number of objections which people have, and he debunks all of them. Uh, goes through and gives evidence about it. But the one I think that you know. Um, is, is probably the most prevalent like that comes to mind first is, but they'll take our jobs. We hear that all the time in whatever country, whenever we're talking about immigrants, refugees, they'll take our jobs. But he points out, he's, he's an economist, jobs are not a zero-sums game. It's not an either there is a job or there isn't a job. If a foreign-born person gets a job, then they buy groceries, they pay rent, they pay taxes. They contribute to the economy and actually create more jobs. So he, he debunks that just basically with a basic economic principle that even if a foreign-born person takes one job, it'll create other jobs. And that, that's, it doesn't matter whether it's a foreign-born person or whomever. Some, one person with a job does create more jobs. So he has the quote, a bigger workforce means more consumption, more demand, more jobs. A second proposal, perhaps a little more radical, we stayed within capitalism with Rutger, but another book which was just published last month by Aaron Bastani. He's a a British um, economist, but um, commentator. Uh, He was at the University of London. He just published, uh, the book's called, if you uh, may, have, may have heard the title of it. I'm suspecting his publisher gave him, this, gave him the title, because as you probably know, publishers can control the title, and this is gonna make it so controversial. Fully Automated Luxury Communism, a Manifesto. It got the attention though. Um, he does point out the shortcomings of a purely capitalist system. So this is a quote from his book, or a a quote from the book. A system where things are produced only for profit, capitalism seeks to ration resources to ensure returns. Just like today's, companies of the future will form monopolies and seek rents. The results will be imposed scarcity, where there's not enough food, healthcare, or energy to go around. The Guardian, in, in the article that's reviewing the book, they, their commentary is, and this is a quote from The Guardian, The world is in an unprecedented crisis, environmental, economic, social, demographic. Yet the left and the green movement's conventional solution to it, essentially to tame humanity through regulation and self-restraint, is the opposite of what's needed, Bastani says. Technology, guided by activist left-wing governments, should be used to intensify our mastery of the planet and to extend it to places beyond. The result will not just be our world's survival, he promises, but the creation of a new world of social justice and limitless abundance, with goods produced at almost no cost, and then freely and equally distributed. Maybe neither of these contain all the components for the solution, but some of them might contain kernels of the truth that will help us redress the situation. I would like to say just a couple of things about returning to Puerto Rico and the situation there before I tie it all together. I can't get into the whole status of Puerto Rico because that's about a half hour discussion. and Those of you who have asked me about that before know that. So what I will tell you though is I think that it's possible to think of Puerto Ricans as refugees in America. Just the short answer is Puerto Ricans are full American citizens with passports. So that's very clear. But the way that they are currently being treated is more like perhaps um, undesired refugees. We have not had national leaders in the U.S. in the post-civil rights era declare their open disdain and outright hostility to an entire geographical region of America and a segment of Americans. But after Hurricane Maria and as late as last month, Trump publicly proclaimed that he did not want another dollar going to that island. The damage estimate was between 72 and 91 billion dollars and the island has received approximately six billion dollars to date. This level of prejudice and vitriol towards fellow Americans is simply morally repugnant. This would be roughly the equivalent of the British Prime Minister declaring that they don't really like the Northern Irish so we're not going to send them any more money. To put more of a human face on this crisis, it is estimated that As of right now, almost two years after Hurricane Maria, between 30,000 and 50,000 homes in Puerto Rico are still living under a blue tarp. In America, in the 21st century, in the richest country in the world. Now the good stuff. After Hurricane Maria, there were so many community-based organizations, which either started or greatly expanded their services, since it was clear government aid wasn't forthcoming. One such is called Together Puerto Rico, which a friend of mine founded in the aftermath of Hurricane Irma, which had hit two weeks before Maria, but it had glanced off. um, And everybody thought it was going to be fine, and then two weeks later, Maria hit. Their focus, it was and is, getting solar lamps and water filters out to the people living in the mountains. As you may or may not know, the power grid for the entire island, which is 100 miles long and 35 miles wide, was wiped out. Um, And without power, you cannot purify water. So they are continuing to do this work um, because even now there's still sporadic outages of power. Um, the, The university there... Um, last week or week before had, um, had to do their final exams and with their cell phone batteries. So, um, also they are distributing these in anticipation of the next one. Ojalá que no, but it could indeed occur. Another incredible outreach organization is called Waves Ahead. It was formed in the months before Maria in order to serve marginalized populations in Puerto Rico particularly the aged LGBTQ individuals who are underserved by the government. While Puerto Rico has made some progress in that there is a lesbian Puerto uh, Puerto Rican Supreme Court justice, other parts of the island can still be very hostile to LGBTQ people. Just three years ago, the UU Puerto Rico Church became the first church ever to march in the San Juan Pride Parade. So changes are happening. In the aftermath of Hurricane Maria, waves ahead were able to offer considerable support for the community and assist with everything from major repairs, to providing food and water, to arranging doctor's visits and medicines. These two organizations—these are two organizations that we, Unitarian Universalists in Puerto Rico, will continue to work with and support. Tying it all together, our role as religious progressives seeking to form a beloved community is to bring a message of inclusion and use whatever influence, small or large, that we have to the greater society, wherever we are, and demand that our governments act morally and treat refugees and the marginalized with compassion and dignity to ensure that they are afforded fair and just treatment and that their full human rights are recognized and respected. The charge that we have on the front of the bulletin is from Micah. It's a Judeo-Christian thing because it tells us to act justly and love mercy. Nowadays, that can be summed up in Article 3 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. Amen and blessed be. Thank you,
0: In the week ahead, let us all imagine ourselves able to build a land, build a world where justice and equality are the cornerstones of life, where the gaps between rich and poor are a concern for everyone, and where the possibility of a fairer life for all is viewed not only as possible but essential for the well being of us all. Let's each of us play our part in building that fairer world for all beings. Amen. Amen. Go well and blessed be.